Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Basket. I am Mike. I'm here with Tommy. We are recording this a day before the Pistons' season debut. It has been a very, very long time since the Pistons have played a regular season game. The last one they played was on March the 11th. You remember that game against the Philadelphia 76ers uh, just prior to the eventual uh, shutdown due to coronavirus at the NBA. And so it's definitely been a very long road back. Uh, what I believe is probably the longest Pistons offseason ever, at least in the you know the modern era of NBA basketball. So definitely very excited about that. So uh, we're going to start this episode off uh, actually uh, just to explain a sort of long-term project, so to speak, that we're going to be doing on the podcast throughout the season. We're going to take a, a group of players and really just track them uh, in the in every episode, most likely, uh, maybe not in every episode if we end up doing uh, two per week at any given points, but uh, we're just going to lay down in this episode uh, what we'd like the role to be, uh, what, what we think their season will look like, uh, the areas in which we think uh, the areas of improvement we would like to see and so on and so forth. And then we'll just track that uh, throughout the course of the season. So uh, we're going to do that with the most interesting players really on the roster. That's, of course, Wayne Ellington and, and Julia Okafor. And of course, I'm kidding. Uh, so we're going to talk about Killian Hayes, of course, uh, Sekou Dimboya, Josh Jackson, and Jeremy Grant as well. Uh, he's not quite as young, of course, or, or as unpracticed as the other guys, but he's, you know, he's the team's big free agent acquisition. And clearly, Troy Weaver believes that he has higher upside than he's demonstrated uh, is demonstrated so far, so we'll be looking at him. And then if they make it into the rotation, we will talk about Sadiq Bey and and Isaiah Stewart. It's just at this point, it doesn't really look so much like like they'll be seeing a lot of time. Uh, you know, but who knows? Maybe they'll maybe they'll surprise us, maybe there'll be injuries. And if that is the case, then we will uh, we'll add them to the list. We'll talk about them a bit today, but but not quite so much as the other four. So uh, we'll just go on to, after that, to talk about rotations a bit. So what we would like to see versus what we are, you know, we believe we are likely to see uh, just based on what we know about Dwayne Casey and about the roster in general. And we'll cap off the episode with uh, a preview of the season, so to speak, just what we think it'll look like. We'll talk a bit about the schedule. So we're just going to dive straight into the segments, uh, the aforementioned segment on those players. So First one we will talk about is Killian Hayes. And just this time, we're just going to do a quick profile on the players, uh, an overview of how they looked in preseason, and uh, really what we'd like to see their role be and what to watch out for throughout the course of the season. So the profile, really, of Hayes, I think we're all fairly familiar with him at this point. Uh, he's a just a super high IQ point guard who really thrives as a passer, particularly in the pick-and-roll situations, really a budding shooter. Who is not quite there yet, as we as we saw in preseason, but has the potential to be what you call a three level scorer, a guy who can score uh, in you know at the three point line, uh, off the dribble from from mid range within the arc, and also at the rim. And so, yeah, that's that's really what he is. What he what he projects to be. And yeah, any any other thoughts about about Killian Hayes? Just general profile. Uh. Not so much. I mean, I mean, his passing vision has looked as good as advertised, and that was uh, probably a saving grace in this preseason. Yeah, I mean, if we're just going to talk about his preseason, yeah, his preseason wasn't good. <laughs> Needless to say, he, he he really struggled in terms of shooting. In, in the first game, he just struggled in general. He uh, there were just there were just a lot of turnovers. He was clearly pretty dis- just pretty discombobulated by by the speed of the game and. It, and really just the transition to, to a drastically higher level of level of difficulty than he, than he was used to. We talked about this in the last episode uh, and uh, Tommy's opinion was he, you know, he shouldn't be starting right now. He should bring him off the bench. My take on the situation was just that uh, he is in a drastically different situation and without anything like the, the sort of the tools and transition that are afforded during your typical off season with summer league and working with trainers and then working with other players and so on and so forth. But uh, he was he was bad in the offseason. He, he had a lot of turnovers. He he shot very poorly, and and so on and so forth. I'm I'm not too concerned. So, what would you like to see as far as throughout the course of the season uh, areas of growth for for Hayes? I think some of them go without saying, but let's go over all of them anyway. 
Yeah, so the first and foremost, I mean, the most important thing for me at this stage is he has to learn to go right. Uh, he doesn't have the best first step. Uh, he's supposed to be a pick-and-roll point guard, and it's absolutely essential that he be multidimensional. Uh, on most teams, the only guy who you want taking mid-range shots is your your pick-and-roll driving you know, ball handler. And Killian has to learn to use screens more effectively uh, and keep his defender guessing. For a guy like him, that, that little bit of extra space is going to be the difference between a blow-by and getting cut off on the way inside. And if it's a mental thing, he can't do it under the pressure of playing against starters. Uh, I'd rather he come off the bench, like you mentioned, for a while while he gets more comfortable with it. Like you said, he didn't have that that transition period of summer league and playing against this lower grade of competition while he gets comfortable with NBA pace and NBA play style. So I think the best thing for him would – I know people really want to see like extended minutes and all the opportunity, but – Prolonged failure probably isn't good for his mental either. So I would like to see him come off the bench. His one, like in the last game, his one turnover uh, in game three, the first one against the Wizards, uh, was he tried to go right on the perimeter and he just lost the handle. Getting that extra weapon would open up his drive game immensely. And that would help him make better use of that excellent passing that he's displayed so far. And then the other issue, of course, is shooting. He shot 29% on field goals, 22% from three. It just has to get better. I'm not as worried about this at this point, but it definitely needs to improve over time. And we saw a little bit of improvement in the last game against Washington. He shot two of five from deep. So maybe there's something there. And he he still has historically always been a really good free throw shooter. And that is statistically one of the best indicators of uh, shooting potential. So that bodes well. And that's the reason I'm not as concerned about it. But I think maybe a lower grade of competition would would overall help him more than uh, you know throwing him straight, straight against starters. I mean, this wasn't the best defensive teams, and he still really, really struggled. Yeah, I, I think it would have struggled no matter whom he played against. Just on the basis of that transition. As we said in the last episode, I mean, the guy, prior to coming to the NBA, he was playing in the Euro Cup on a team where basically he was just given the undisputed chief role and just told, go ahead, do what you're doing. If you make mistakes, it's fine. He was playing against considerably easier opposition and considerably less athletic opposition. So I I think the transition was always going to be rocky. Yeah, I I know you'd prefer him to come off the bench. I'm kind of, I'm more ambivalent about it now than I was when we talked about it last. At that point, I was thinking, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, this just this this is how it how it is for him, and it's it's how it's going to be for some other rookies, just based on the lack of offseason, but the lack of the typical offseason, rather. So, uh, I'm I'm just I'm more ambivalent on it at this point. I think what we might see is him just play like, you know, if if he doesn't improve, he might. I think he'll he'll be with the starters regardless, or maybe not. Actually, it's possible that they'll just kick him to the bench and have him play with you know with Derrick Rose, which I don't think would be great for him. That's kind of an issue and that DeLon Wright could end up starting a point guard. I think that would be a waste unless you're really looking at a situation in which you think his development is going to be hampered by failure. And I, I, I mean, that that's always a consideration with young players. Well, not always. Some of them, you kind of wish that they'd be a little bit less confident because, <laughs> you know, there, there have been, there have certainly been plenty of those. I mean, none, none really come immediately, uh, immediately to mind. Who am I missing? Uh, there have been a, there have been some some examples in the last couple of years of, of rookies who just come in and shoot way too much despite being terrible at it. Uh, oh yeah, I can think of one. This is a long time ago. Austin Rivers. You know, just the guy who loved to create offense off the dribble, and he was absolutely and utterly horrible at it. So, but you know, if, if they think that Hayes can take the hits and just continue improving, I'd, I'd like to, to see him continue in the starting lineup, even though. As we mentioned, I mean, just the overall fit in the starting lineup is pretty crappy for everyone. I mean, it's, it's just it's going to be a mess. I mean, you've got Hayes who thrives with the ball in his hands, and he's going to have to learn to be an off-ball player, and I think he can do that, obviously, if he can shoot right. and absolutely do that. Yeah, that's the but, other idea I had. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, you don't want to play him off the ball too much, which is what's happening in the starting lineup because there are three handlers in it and, and no pure floor spacers now that you have Jeremy Grant trying to create offense off the dribble whenever he gets the ball, and it's, <laughs> you know. If it's not a clear, open three-point shot, then he's probably going to try to put the ball on the floor. So I would maintain him in the starting lineup for like the first 10 games. If it goes really horribly, then yeah, I think you consider kicking him to the bench. 
But in, in that case, you have to find a situation in which you're still giving him enough opportunity to handle the ball because you, you just have to do that if you want him to grow. But yeah. as far as the area's improvement, yeah, absolutely, driving right. I think he's going to get in a better shape. He said uh, after the first game that he thought he was in good shape, but he wasn't, and, and that's understandable given just given where he came from and the fact that he didn't have you know NBA caliber guys to, to train with or play with over the you know course of the offseason. No real training camp, no summer league. And... But yeah, you got to learn to go right. I think you'll get in a better condition, and of course, the shooting and, and the shooting just the slide, the shot selection has been crap. So, yeah, uh, obviously these are the things we want to see. He was actually decent on on defense in, in preseason. He had some trouble navigating screens, but uh, he did average close to two steals per game for what you know for what what all that 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 counts for in cases over the course of four preseason games that were, you know, just a mess all around from both teams and except for the fourth game. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I think the, the statistical areas we're going to be looking at, of course, are just in the realm of shooting and turnovers. And, you know, in terms of how he plays the game, I, I think, yeah, your, your ability to drive right and make it to the basket. So you got anything, anything to add just as far as things we'd really like to look out for with him? Yeah, I mean, I know that we were kind of upset in the uh, in the first game just where Casey said that, DeLon Wright was going to split the ball handling duties, but I'm more than okay with that. I think that's actually a pretty good idea. What I would like to see is Killian continue to to, uh, to run the ball up the floor, take advantage of his uh, transition game, because I think that's a really strong strong point for him. But in the half court, you know, I, I feel like every time he gets beat defensively, uh, it's just not good for him, um, at least not at this, at this level, because it doesn't – he just looks really uncomfortable there. So I'd like to see him play more of an off-ball role. I, I don't have the stats to support this, but he looks better shooting it off the catch than he does off the dribble. I think he tries to do too much, and uh, it kind of comes like he kills his dribble going right, and then he'll step back to the three-point line, and that's just the percentages don't look good on that on that shot. So I'd like to take I like to see him take uh, better shots and maybe a lower degree of difficulty. I think that's better for him than uh, continuing to take these ill-advised shots that you don't want him to make a habit of. I don't think he will. He doesn't seem like the kind who's like trigger happy. I, even in the first half of the first game, he he shot a lot less. But uh, I don't want him to uh, be one of those players. Yeah, I think like he really didn't get any opportunity to play within his element in preseason. I think in the first game he got maybe one or two actual pick and rolls, like from from you know, for all that was. I don't know if I think Weaver said that. Sure, Plumlee was brought in in part to be a pick and roll partner. I could be wrong about that. He, he barely ran any pick and rolls with Plumlee or anybody else. He ran pick and pops with Griffin, or kind of like half pick and rolls where he would, where Griffin would set a screen and Hayes would come in and Griffin would basically just roll down to to the you know to the low block, and post up, and that's not a real pick and roll. Griffin is. As we mentioned, like Plumlee can't pop and Griffin can't roll. Griffin used to be a ferocious roll man back when he was super athletic, but that's not the case anymore. He's not a good roll man anymore. So, and the fact that he's not that he has no other utility in an off ball roll beyond shooting, which is valuable. It just it just means he's going to spend a lot of his time on the ball. But I would like to see as as much as it is certainly very important for for Killian to become effective in all walks of offense. I think it is a problem if he is not being given really any usage in the area in which he is in his element, and he is not being given very much of that at all. As far as what you've said about transition, yeah, it's 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 annoyed me that he'll get the ball in transition, and then the game plan calls for him to pass it to, to Wright <laughs> or Griffin, or he brings the ball up the court, and then the first thing that the game plan calls for is for him to pass the ball to one of the other handlers. And I, I, I'd like for him to be given maximum opportunity to do what he is good at, just uh, because I mean I think we can agree it's important. It's just you do want to set them up uh, for the for the circumstances in which they will have a greater degree of success. Uh, obviously, he's never going to be in a situation in the NBA uh, like he was with with Rasho Farm, uh, his, his old team, and in the Euro Cup because he's never going to be running like a, a zillion pick and rolls a game. But you know, I, I'd, I'd like to see that be at least a, a decent percentage of his usage. So, uh, yeah, that's so. I think that's yeah. What, what we'd really both like to, to see from him: better shooting, 
uh, less proneness to turnovers, the ability to to go right, and uh, yeah, I, I think we can also just create situations that set him up for success. So I'd, I'd like to see higher usage in the pick and roll, but of course that's not up to him. Mm-hmm. So moving on next to Seku Dimboya. So Seku, the 15th pick in the 2019 draft, was selected as a project player. I mean, the Pistons, it was said, I think by, I don't remember who said this, but basically the idea was that the Pistons were not selecting him from for the, for the short term. They were selecting him for kind of, uh, you know, two or three seasons down the line because he was extremely raw. He started playing basketball, I believe, at the age of 13. He had been playing in a, in a, a French professional league, so against professional players. I mean, not a strong league, but against professional players at least for a couple seasons, I believe, before two or three seasons before he was drafted. But it was a surprise that he even got minutes last year. That If I had to guess, and actually based on all that was said, I think you can say this with a great degree of certainty, that there was no plan to give him minutes last year. It was just uh, it was just the injuries that ultimately thrust him in the lineup, and he played actually quite well for the first two weeks, uh, which was at the end of the year, uh, I believe, at the beginning of the following year. There's two or three week span in which yeah, he did you know he played a promising game against difficult opposition. He had to guard Kawhi in one game. He got torched, but that's to be expected. A lot of players, you know, more experienced players get torched by Kawhi. He had to defend LeBron, and he got torched. And again, that's no shame to him. But offensively speaking, he was pretty good. He was a good shooter. Uh, he just he, he was efficient overall. You know, uh, it was exciting to see. I don't think anybody – I mean, it was just exciting to see. After that, he fell flat in his face and was awful for the rest of the season. And uh, I, I don't think that anybody should be should have been upset or concerned about that. Uh, I, I think I was just more, I was personally more excited to, to just see him flash that potential and at all. So he apparently worked very hard over the summer and I, I think figures to play a, a more significant and consistent role in the rotation. He did look fairly good in preseason. Uh, and so, yeah, last year, I mean, last year, it's something I did notice over the off season. Uh, last year, he had a bit of a wonky spin on his shot and he seems to have fixed that. So, yeah, that that's just overall how I profile him, what he's good at right now. He he does have a, a good read on movement. He is good at, at targeting the or identifying the times at which he can cut to the basket and, and be ahead of his defender. He, you know, maybe hopefully he's an improved shooter this year. He is a guy who he's worked on his defensive stance. He's, he's got a much lower defensive stance now. You know, he's long. I, I think he's, he's stronger than he was before. He's, he's a potential multi, multi-positional defender. And I'm, I'm not too confident that, that he'll ever be a good creator off the dribble, but if you have a guy who is a good off-ball mover, who can shoot from three and can play fairly good defense, then that's a, that's, you know, that's a valuable player. It's a valuable player for the future. You got uh, anything else? What do you think? Uh, just the overall profile on, on Seku. Anything to add to that? As far as the profile, no, but I was really happy with his play in preseason. Uh, what about it? Did you like? Yeah, uh, I mean, it was primarily against bench players, but uh, he he took advantage of it. Um, he always seemed like we all saw that he was really looking for his uh, opportunities to cut off the ball and find himself unguarded under the rim, and uh, that's good recognition. He shot uh, thirty-seven point five percent on threes, sixty-two percent field goals, and uh, even if it's against you know the Knicks and the Wizards. Uh, I'm still very happy with it. As far as what to work on, I think at his age and frame, he just needs to continue working on being that guy who can catch and sh- uh, catch the shot in rhythm. And then what I'd like to see him add is either is a convincing pump fake. Uh, I think that's the the key because he's got a decent first step. His shot is a little bit slow, and that's not a huge deal. I mean, what he could really use is like that Joel Embiid pump fake, where it's like that slow motion perimeter pump fake, and then but it, it works. It's convincing enough that it gets the defender jumping towards him and then he's able to uh attack the inside so that's that's the biggest thing that i want him to work on uh, is keeping those shooting splits up and then recognizing when to attack the closeout defender that would make best use of him in his frame uh, we we've, we know what kind of athlete he is if he can be that guy who's catching def- uh, defenses off guard and attacking that's 
I think that's uh, one of the best ways that he can reach his ceiling. Yeah, I, I think obviously you look at his, his three-point percentage and you hope he, he can manage to sustain that. I totally agree. He's a guy who can who can definitely attack the closeout. He's, he's shown that he's actually – he's long and he's bendy, and, and that's very helpful in, in, in your ability to score at the basket. So I don't think he's going to be beating many guys in isolation ever. I just, I just don't think he has the explosiveness and possibly not even the skill to do that, and that's fine. He, you know, the number of guys who can, who can effectively take the ball – you know, and, and score well in isolation isn't particularly high. It's not very efficient offense. It's very helpful to have a guy who can do that, but most people can't, or most most NBA players cannot. So, yeah, you definitely want to watch both of those factors. Uh, passing is one thing. I don't I don't put too much stock in preseason stats. This is just really a demonstrative stat that Seku somehow managed to have zero assists in preseason. <laughs> you know, and that that can just be circumstantial, but that. The guy, and this goes back to last year, he is he is not good at making the pass. So as he drives in, he's he's just going straight to the basket. And you really want all of your your players these days to, to the maximum extent you possibly can to be to be good driving kick presences. I go back a lot to the 2019 playoffs of the Raptors, in which they were able to field five starters. And players like Kawhi, who is not really, you know, really to that point had no real pedigree as a passer, were able to be become effective setup men simply because they attracted attention on the drive and were, and were able to find the open shooter. You know, you get, you get uh, the defender has to come and help and then you just pass it to the open man. So that's just an increasingly important skill for anybody who's going to be attacking off the drive in any fashion. So I, I think Seku really needs to work on giving up the ball when it's most beneficial to the team, because right now he is just going hard at the basket and that's not a bad thing, but it may not be the best decision. And and really also like I know Tommy, you're a big fan of, of the Heat's offensive offensive game plan, particularly the, the sort of drive and kick and kick and kick until you find an open man. Yep. And of course, like you know, Spolstra, who you know, I'll say it again and again and again, I think is is one of the, one of the best coaches, best basketball coaches in the NBA. And, and rather, I think I was halfway through saying one of the best basketball coaches in the world, but that's kind of redundant. The NBA being the best league. So, though I don't doubt there are some excellent coaches toiling in obscurity somewhere, and you know, some of those end up making it to the NBA and some not. But you know, I digress. Like you, you always want to have that opportunity to, to to find the best possible shot. So your guys who are ahead of the basket should always be willing to make the pass when when that's the right when that's the right play. And so I think he's got to work on his court vision and, and making the right decision. Also, watch watch him in transition. I mean, he's, he was good at running, running the four in his rookie year. He seemed to be doing so even more intently uh, this time around. And, and, you know, beyond that, just watch those off-ball cuts. I mean, the guy is a lob threat, uh, he's, and he's just very good at reaching the paint uh, uncontested. So I'd say for my part, yeah, just watch, watch what he does when he's driving. If he's able to make the right pass, watch his three-point percentage. And... Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess his defense as well. And you were saying you just want to watch watch what he's doing when he's trying to score in the paint, correct? Yeah, uh, that that's part of it. But like exactly what you said, the recognition is what uh, I'm really going to be watching to see if he uh, can improve on um, exactly what you said, passing out of the paint. And then he showed some really nice touch around the basket. I mean, maybe they weren't the best shots, but there was one like where he got fouled and he got turned around, but he still went up and it went in. So more stuff like that. Yeah, that's the sort of recognition to make the right play, like even in the paint when you get the ball. Yeah, absolutely super important. And some players have it instinctually, some players learn it, and some players just don't have it. So that'll be that'll be important to see. You know, certainly in the paints, you know, when you get the ball, are you just going to go straight up or are you going to, to have the awareness to take stock of what's going on before you make the decision? So that's, that's where Seku is. I think, I think we can count on, you know, assuming that he is, I mean, he's, he's in sort of plum position right now. I mean, not only from how he played in preseason, just that, uh, that there's the recognition that he is an, an important component of the team's future potentially. And he's no longer a rookie, which counts in, in Dwayne Casey's eyes. <laughs> I'd love to talk about that, but uh, yeah. So I would count on him starting at around 20 minutes per night. 
you know, it, it really didn't. And of course, if, you know, nobody's hoping for Blake Griffin to get injured, obviously I shouldn't have to say that, but if Griffin is injured, I'd say he's, he's, he's the one who stands to gain most in terms of the minutes he's, he would play in the rotation. So yeah, that's, uh, that's where we are. I mean, his role of course is, is going to be like Casey has said that the, that the, uh, that the bench will really lean on, on Rose and Dumboya. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. I like him where he is. He's raw, but he's growing. And uh, those few preseason showings, they don't, they're not enough for me to want him in the starting lineup. I know that some people do uh, let him continue to grow and maintain that solid shooting stroke uh, before moving him up and just keep his confidence high and keep him engaged on offense and searching for those opportunities off ball. I think that's, uh, I think that's the way that you develop Seiko in year two. Yeah. So yeah, agreed. So moving on to Josh Jackson, uh, who's not quite as young as these other guys, but he is in his fourth, excuse me, is it fourth or fifth NBA season. I think it's his fourth. He was dropped by the King, excuse me, by the Suns after two seasons, I think. And then, and then played his last season, uh, split it between the Grizzlies and the G league. But is you know, is a, I don't remember if the Suns just outright declined his option after after his sophomore after his sophomore year in the NBA. Whatever the case, he's been in the NBA for three seasons. He's, he's a guy who's drafted fourth overall in 2017, and he so yeah, three seasons. I was right there. So he is a guy with a lot of talent, and. He just he just hasn't really been able to bring it together. Part of it was just a terrible attitude, and you know, it certainly translated to awful off court behavior. But also, just didn't really make the right decision. So last year at the Grizzlies, he he improved as far as just his his work ethic and uh, and his and his drive on the court, and and also with his decision making. So he he had a good certainly possibly the best. It's going to say arguably, but I will aside from Derrick Rose, maybe. Uh, Jackson had probably the best showing of any piston in, in preseason. And that was, that was nice to see. I don't think too much should be read into it. So he did, I mean, his three point shooting, you know, fantastic. That's always useful skill. And he, he did sink, you know, he's not, I doubt he'll maintain this 50% on four and a half attempts per game. That's highly unlikely that anybody will maintain that. But if he can shoot threes, fantastic. You know, you're a valuable part of the rotation because he's an athletic wing who can defend in a multi-positional basis. It, I think it's his ability to attack off the dribble that's going to be one of the biggest things to watch. I would say, like, you know, as, as far as profiling, yeah, just the, the sort of athletic, potentially two-way wing that's, that any NBA team would want. I mean, these, these two-way athletic wings are incredibly valuable, and the Pistons have been brutally short on them forever. <laughs> like, we're talking forever. Like, you know, they, they haven't had a good one, like a legitimately good one since... Uh, God, like Tayshawn Prince's last year in his prime, which was almost 10 years ago. So, I mean, Marcus Morris is not going to get you there, <laughs> he's, but he's, he's the best small. He's, he's like, I guess he's, he fits the best out of any player the Pistons have had in a long time. And he wasn't really all that great with the Pistons. He had one good season, but, and, and now he's, he's power forward. He barely qualifies as an athletic wing, barely did even back then. So... Yeah, do you have anything to add as far as just as far as profiling Jackson? Uh, no, I didn't know his game very well coming into it. Yeah, so the things to things to watch. And I mean, well, you know, certainly in all fairness to you, there wasn't really much to watch for Jackson for a while. He was he was really bad with the with the Suns and with the Grizzlies. He was better, but didn't didn't get a ton of a chance. You know, obviously, you know the Grizzlies are where they are. And in last year, they were really pushing to pushing to the playoffs. They weren't going to be big on giving big chances to, to, to reclamation projects. But I think what you watch out for, Jackson, number uh, number one is his, his ability to create off the dribble. So creation off the dribble, super, super valuable. The Pistons have not had much of it in a long time. And he did so with a decent degree of success in the preseason. But Jackson's issue has never been the ability to create offense. His issue has been the ability to create offense efficiently. And part of this is shot selection. Sometimes he just makes really, really bad decisions. And if you make those on a regular basis, you're not going to, it's really going to undercut you as an effective scorer. So just identifying situations in which he should shoot 
or, or, or should isolate or whatever versus situations when he should not or situations when he should pass. He, you know, he rightly is, you know, was to this point in his career, particularly the Suns. It's like the guy didn't really like passing the ball. He was willing to pass with the, in, in preseason, he had some good driving kicks. But what you'd be looking at is if if he can really show good judgment as far as his attempts to create. Uh, he, during, during the off, excuse me, during the preseason, he was playing against some fairly easy opposition, all told. And some of you might have noticed that, nonetheless, I mean, he, he looks a little bit wild when he's driving to the basket. So I, I think the question will be not can he create offense, but rather can he do so efficiently. He's got to be a team player, and he's, he's got to have a, a good appreciation of what he should do and when, and more specifically, what he should not do. So I think that just looking at, I think his decision-making is going to be one of the chief things to watch. Also, of course, his three-point percentage, because at this point in his career, he's not been a good shooter. And, of course, his defense, which I think is is what his, you know, that's always a big thing with, with Casey, but it, it's important overall, especially, I mean, Troy Weaver has really done his best to stock this team with, with really long defenders. So that's what I'm primarily going to be looking for, for Jackson, just his decision-making and his shooting. Yeah. What about you, Tommy? What do you, what do you really think we should be looking at for him? Yeah, definitely the shooting. I mean, you mentioned it. He's not been a good shooter historically and he shot really well in the preseason. So of course we both expect that to regress, but if he can maintain league averages, I'll be perfectly happy uh, just based on where he was before. And then the other thing I kind of talked about this, maybe an episode or two ago, but just given his uh, reputation or his personality as being like, maybe not the best team guy, uh, I want to see him be more of a team player, I guess. And uh, Weaver's Weaver's vision has kind of been, uh, or the moves we've seen him make, they, he wants this team to be uh, hardworking, you know, push up the floor, and then uh, play really hard on defense. And I don't think Jackson is the type. He didn't fit that mold, especially uh, when we made that signing. So that was kind of confusing to me. But I think if he picks up those traits and we see that from him, then that's a good indication that Weaver's plan is like working. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be looking for from him. In addition to everything else, you know, the, the shooting, especially because he's plenty athletic. So if he can get, uh, you know, defenders closing out on him hard, you know, he can really take advantage of that and that will open up his game a ton. Yeah. If certainly, I mean, he, he showed an element, sort of an elementary drive and kick game. And there were points during the preseason when he did drive in and pass the ball. And I was like, is that Josh Jackson? <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, it's like, it's I was like, well, that is, yeah, I was like, that is surprising. So I think, well, here's the thing with Jackson. If, if he can't find his creation game, he can't do that efficiently. Then you just, you have an athletic three and D wing. I mean, if he can, if he can shoot and, and he plays defense, you have an athletic three and D wing and fantastic. I mean, it's not what you hope for, but that's still great. Like you're in, you know, that's, that's absolutely, you want those guys. I mean, it's super important to have those guys and you know, it's a cool story as well. He's, he's a Detroit boy. He's coming home and trying to resurrect or really get his career off the ground and so on and so forth. I mean, I'm not really, don't really care about narrative, but that is sort of a cool story, I guess. All right. So moving on further to Jeremy Grant. Now, obviously Grant isn't one of these young guys. You know, he's he's been in the league for a time, and but rather he is you know, he's twenty six years old. So, but he it, obviously Troy Weaver considers him an, an important part of the future, and and believes just uh, believes obviously that that Grant can improve himself on the offensive end. Grant was Denver offered him the same salary uh, as the Pistons. As I've said, I am 99.99% sure that this was by way of matching because it made perfect sense for the Nuggets to overpay rather than lose him for nothing. They were never going to be able to replace him because they're they're over the cap already. And, and they're a team that's trying to contend now. But he ended up going to Detroit because Weaver promised him a bigger offensive role. He clearly believes, Grant himself clearly believes he can do more. You know, I, I'm sure that this 
relates to two things. Number one, that he just wants to be, he doesn't want to be a role player anymore. He wants to be a guy who plays a bigger role in the offense. Also, number two, if he manages to do this, he'll get a larger payday three years down the line when he'll be 29. And that's, that's really when, uh, you know, as, as a player, you're looking at that stage of your career to really strike it rich on a contract and a long-term contract, because that's probably, unless you're, you know, just a super player who is sort of age defying like LeBron, you're, you're unlikely to get that sort of big contract in your mid thirties. And, and if it doesn't work out for him, then he's still a good three and D finish player, assuming those qualities stay around and he can, he can get a pretty good contract anyway. So it's, it's very low risk for him. So of course the question is what he is able to do on offense. That that's really what to look at. Two things for me, can he create and can he do so intelligently, you know, in his attempts to create thus far, he has really struggled in preseason or he had struggled in preseason. That said, I just realized that uh, we really skipped over the profile step. So what is Jeremy Grant? We talked about him in free agency review. I'll just, I'll just give you ones over here. Uh, he's what I call a three and D and finish player. He can shoot threes. He can, he's a, he's a multi-positional defender. He can't really defend centers very well because he's, he's, you know, he's, he's not very uh, strong center of gravity. So he gets bullied, but point guard through power forward, he can do a pretty good job on. And he's a good finisher, but with the proviso that he's a good fit, you know, he's, he's just, he's a good overall scorer when things are created for him by others and get an effective field goal percentage of like 62% last year on, on, on quick opportunities created by others versus I think like uh, 42% or 43%. I don't remember exactly. Is a bad mark. Uh, effective field goal percentage on self-created opportunities. So, and, and for all that was said uh, about him playing a very good two-way game against, against you know, high, high, high-tier players in, in the playoffs, it, it wasn't that he was a lockdown defender against the likes of LeBron and Kawhi and, and Donovan Mitchell, and those are the three players he, he primarily defended in the first three rounds. More that he prevented them from going supernova. So they still scored well, you know, by all means, they scored well. They just didn't uh, really just go full, you know, superstar destruction mode, and you know that that's good. But it, it shouldn't be, it, you know, it, it shouldn't be said that he was a lockdown defender on those guys because he wasn't. He just he just kept them. They they scored pretty well rather than extremely well. And as as far as his, you know on offense, of course, that really just depended upon how well he shot from three. Because again, almost almost all of his opportunities were created by others. Uh, so yeah, he was assisted on 59 of his, of his 71 made field goals in the playoffs and, and Jokic and Murray accounted for 34 of those assists. He'll play a very different role with the Pistons because he doesn't have those guys creating for him. And, and, and then that's sort of really uh high flying offense. You know, you've got Blake Griffin, but that's it's kind of a different story. So his question is what can he create? And uh, it was not encouraging in the preseason. Like he just, he put the ball on the floor whenever he could. And a lot of them were bad opportunities. And I hate to say this, but I just thought back to Josh Smith, like I want to score and, and taking really, really stupid shots just because he wanted to score. I mean, there's, there's kind of like a, there's, there's a line, you know, between, you know, where, where, where Grant has to think it's like, yeah, I want to be able to create offense. Should I do this for the team? I mean, is this a good idea for the team if I take, if I take this shot? So I think that's primarily what you're looking for with Grant is is how how well he can create and whether he's willing to make the, the right decisions. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Grant? Yeah, I mean, preseason, he came out and he tried to do too much way too early. And uh, it resulted in a lot of, I don't know, off-the-dribble long twos. And I thought back to Avery Bradley, except those were mostly handoffs. But this is almost worse in that regard because it's just – an isolation too off the dribble is just one of the worst shots that you can take in the modern NBA. So I, whether it's his own recognition or Casey, somebody needs to reel him in and, you know, start him off on his game, you know, the three in ND and, and then try to expand it maybe more from there. But he's, I don't think he's ever going to be some elite creator. Um, at least not this year. Uh, it's, I don't know how many players have ever done that in their career, but I, I still, I still fully expect him to just provide stability in the front court and maybe just be there while these young guys who are coming up behind them, they're probably not ready for that yet. 
so I think bringing him in made, makes a lot more sense if you trade Blake Griffin for scraps. Uh, and in that way, this this is still the one signing that like both of us are the most confused about. Uh, so I would just look for him to be a, a 3 and D guy. Yeah, I think we don't know what he was promised <laughs> by Troy Weaver. Like, what did the what expanded role in the offense was he promised? But it's it's just going to do nobody any good if he's you know who knows maybe maybe they were just given maybe Casey said whatever it's preseason just go and do your thing like go and do your thing rather and 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 that'll be different on the regular season. But I, I think you put it very well that he has to start instead of doing what he did in preseason, which is basically oh here's an opportunity I'm going to try to create. Rather, it's start with what he's good at, which is finishing and shooting threes, or finishing opportunities created by others and threes created by others, and then just try to introduce creation off the dribble from there because just it was just so ugly in preseason. Like uh, maybe best exemplified by one of the final possessions against the Wizards, in which the Pistons were down three with twenty seconds left, and you know by all means if you can get an easy quick you know quick. Uh, high percentage too, you know, do that, even though you're down by three. Uh, instead, he drove into double coverage in transition. <laughs> it's like, sorry, Jeremy, that's not a good shot. You know, maybe you get bailed out. If you get bailed out by a foul, which he did, you're, you're, you're like a 75% free throw shooter. It's, it's just not, it's just not a good idea. And you got to pick your shots correctly. You're not, you're not going to demonstrate anything to anybody uh, or, or really probably likely improve yourself or, or accomplish anything by taking really bad shots just because you want to create. So, some of that is down to Casey, but some of it is down to Grant's own judgment and something to watch. Can he show that good judgment? You know, because even if he does become a creator, you know, a, a, a better creator, he's still going to have to show that good judgment. Otherwise, you'll be a bad creator. And and you want to give yourself those opportunities, but you, you're not at the cost of it. You know, uh, we're none, you know, none of us, neither of us are concerned with the Pistons winning, but, it, but it's like, nonetheless, just not, not at the cost of you know, of, of making, of making the proper decisions. So we'll keep an eye on that. I think, I think we can be confident that he'll play good defense and, and shoot three as well. But, you know, are, is he going to be a team player? And is, is he going to be, you know, on offense, basically is he going to make the right decisions? And if he doesn't, then that's just bad overall because he's, he's just stealing opportunities from others and, and taking, um, and taking, the Pistons just out of the ability to run a proper offense. And even though they probably won't be winning very often and their offense may very well be a mess, you want these young guys to grow up in that kind of at least functional, if not successful offense. So yeah, th- those will be the players we'll look at. As mentioned, like it, it's tough to see minutes in the rotation right now for Stewart. Certainly I, like Tommy, I, I know you really feel like he looks unready. Yeah. I'm just not ready for the NBA game. So uh, I mean, the first three games, I really wanted him to get more minutes, more opportunity. But in that fourth game, he just doesn't look like... There's a huge difference between the system that he played in at Washington. It was mostly zone, and he was playing a lot more of a post game. Whereas here, that's not really what happens. Uh, he he just needs to learn how to play the NBA center game, and uh, that's not what he looks like he's comfortable with. So I'm not thrilled by the fact that it's Okafor getting a ton of minutes, but uh, I think don't rush Stewart into it because um, he's going to be he, – he just doesn't seem to know the game well enough yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I wish he'll uh, – I hope for for the obvious reasons that he'll that he'll develop quickly. Uh, the, the other reason is that I would like to see Okafor out of the lineup. <laughs> uh, but we can – I mean, we both voiced certainly our displeasure at, at, at the fact that Okafor is really getting significant minutes. I, I don't like the fact that he's on the team to begin with, but that, that's talk for another time. Yeah, I, he didn't look good in his time, in his time, in his very limited time on the court. And, but at the same time, it's it's tough to know with with Dwayne Casey whether you know whether Okafor is getting those minutes, even though he sucks. Like Okafor is good at nothing beyond ball stopping point of uh, ball stopping paint offense. He's, he sucks at everything else. Like legitimately, is is bad at everything else. Is well, aside from being a decent but not great role man. So he's he's just kind of player doesn't really have a place in, in today's NBA. But in any event, yeah, Stewart Stewart just yeah, his limited minutes didn't 
just just didn't really look like he knew what he was doing. But I don't care if, to be honest, I don't care if he knows what he's doing. I mean, give him give him the opportunity on on the court at least to an extent. But just with Casey, it's unlikely we'll see that for a while. And and Bay, I think, is ready, but there's just no. He's based on his level of seniority and based on just the other guys in the rotation. I, I don't think it's likely to get significant minutes unless somebody gets injured, and that somebody would have to be. Well, anybody from two through four, really. That that would free up minutes for Bay, and I think it's a shame we won't see him. But you know, as we'll, well, we can use this as really as it is a segue and into the rotations. Uh, just Dwayne Casey does things in a very specific way. Number one, if there are veterans on the team, he will play them. He will play them because he plays veterans, as as much as people. You know, as much as you can point to the to the bench mob who developed under him in Toronto, those guys Van Fleet, Powell, Anunobi, Siakam, and and Pirtle. He really only gave due diligence to that after Masai Ujiri, the the GM over there, a very very highly thought of GM of the Toronto Raptors, got rid of his veterans. I mean, Casey has a terrible habit of favor of just favoring his veterans. So, and Weaver gave him way too many veterans. <laughs> <laughs> and, and veterancy can be defined just as uh, seniority. So, like I said, but Seku, I mean, the fact that he has a year in the league will count in his favor with Casey, just by default. But it, it's just kind of the, it's a situation in which, you know, you can, it's not so much that the young guys have to earn their minutes, is that these minutes are the veterans to lose. As we saw with Thon Maker, for example, he really had to play himself out of the lineup. Casey's going to give due deference to all these guys, to all the veterans, and, and they're going to get their minutes if they play well enough, and, and that's not good, in my opinion. So with, when you have DeLon Wright and Ellington in the lineup, and then there's Fee, who should be getting minutes, period, and and then you have Grant at small forward and, and, and Griffin at power forward, and you've got Seku, who obviously should get minutes too, and Jackson, I mean, Bay's just the odd man out. Even though I, I personally think Ellington should be getting zero minutes. And I'm fine with Wright getting less minutes so that Bay gets his opportunity, but it's going to be hard enough to find minutes for for uh, Sacrusby and Jackson in that rotation. I think Bay's going to. I think he's he's NBA ready to a degree, but I just don't think he's going to play not very much. Do you disagree? Unfortunately, I think you're dead on. I mean, I'm super high on Bay. I think if it's not killing, I think Bay is the other rookie who could be a starter by the end of the year. But I don't think he's going to get that opportunity. He just he's just he's just a very polished player. Uh, he doesn't try to do too much, and I think that if he was a few years older, he'd be one of Casey's favorites. I mean, he plays very much within himself, doesn't try to do too much. Uh, before the season, I talked about, like, you know, I'd like him to sharpen up his decision-making and uh, maybe, like, add a little bit of a passing game inside the arc, and sure enough, in preseason, he had added both of those. So I, it's, it's very unfortunate that he's probably going to be a victim of uh, Casey's favoritism, but... I don't think he's going anywhere. And who knows? Maybe he shows out well enough in practice that Casey feel like, feels like he's earned it. Or, you know, obviously neither of us are hoping for this, but if injuries uh, provide him that opportunity, I think he will show out. Yeah, Blake, excuse me, uh, Derek Rose, if he has traded during the course of the season, which is hard to say. I mean, the old regime really liked him. Who knows if Weaver likes him quite as much. He is what seems like a positive veteran presence. On the court, he does take up more kind of usage for himself than I would like, though I, I by no means think he's a selfish player. He's just he's a player who's more most effective at creating his own offense by attacking off the dribble. But if you trade him, then then DeLon Wright really slides primarily into those backup point guard minutes. Speed will get more minutes, and I think uh, I, I think you'll see Bay get a decent chunk of minutes. Uh, and of course, if, if there are injuries anywhere in the rotation, uh, he is, except for at center, He's uh, he's the primary candidate to get those, though. Of course, you could just see more minutes given to given to other players instead. So he's the kind of player I'd expect to see more of in midseason, but you know, but not now. So you know, that obviously, you never know what it, never know what's going to happen. If, if one of the other youngsters plays his way out of the lineup, then then it's probably Bay's turn. But as far as rotations, I mean, what I'd really like to see it, it, in terms of the rotation. You you split the point guard minutes evenly between between Killian Hayes and, and Derrick Rose. You give Wright like maybe twenty minutes total. You give Ellington zero minutes, and and you let Svee take up the 
I mean, if you're not going to play Bay, and obviously Svia, I think, just deserves the minutes. You give him most of the minutes at shooting guard. I'd rather honestly see him start than Casey is, is concerned about Hayes' defense. Uh, Casey, who, as I've said in the past, and I will say it again, is a little bit too focused on defense. <laughs> but, you know, at, at the expense of offense, I'm concerned that's, that Weaver may share that problem. But we will see. Though I think it, it certainly shows through in, in his goals for the team. And his, and his free agent signings, even though Plumlee is not a good defender. He's a hard-working defender. But, you know, said over and over again, defense is important, but offense is more important. You're not going to win as a defensive team, but the Pistons aren't going to win anyway very much this season unless something really comes together. So, yeah, I would I would give Svi a solid 25 minutes. And then, then you're just splitting... Uh, you know, the forward minutes between, you know, between, of course, I, I think it's it's very likely that Grant will get around 32, Griffin somewhere between 28 and 32. And and then, you know, you, you split the bench minutes between Jackson and and, and Dumboya. And then at center, like I said, I, I would rather just throw Stewart in the fire now because Okafor sucks. <laughs> and I think you're, you're, I, I think it was, I think, he has no upside. He's basically the same player he was in college, except he's a vegan and is in better shape. And the player he was in college was a defensive liability who can score in the paint. And that is it. So I, I would honestly just prefer to see him out of the lineup altogether. Uh, just center is going to be a mess, period. So you get Plumlee 25 minutes and you hand the other, you know, 23 to, to one of those, one or both of those two. I would like to see Ellington get no minutes, but I think realistically Ellington will get 10 to 12 minutes a game simply because he is a veteran, the same way it would have happened with Galloway. So I think we're going to see a lot more of DeLon Wright and Wayne Ellington than I would like. And of course, more of Okafor than I would like, but I would like to see no Okafor. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I think realistically you're looking at like 22 to 26 minutes for Killian Hayes at the point guard, the rest to Derrick Rose. You're looking at probably 24 minutes for Wright, 12 for Ellington, and uh, then not enough for for Svee. And you, you know, it, it, it's you gotta probably evenly allocate the the minutes. You know, Svee will get minutes at small forward. I think he'll probably see about 20 per game. Uh, I'm not coming up with an exact number here, but yeah, Jackson and Seku will see in the you know in the arena of 20 per game. And then, you know, and then, and then just what I said with the center split. So how would you, I, I think we'd probably fairly well agree on how things will turn out. Yeah. As far but, as the minutes allocation. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, as I, I said, I would, I would, for, yeah. don't want to yeah. see Ellington. I wasn't a huge fan of the right signing until maybe like, you know, well, we didn't sign him. Tra- traded a reason for him. Right. My, right, my bad. But uh, the, that pickup, but um I guess the one thing I would like to see is there should never be any lineups where it's just five veterans out there. This is not a year where the Pistons are trying to win. Uh, All the opportunity is there for the Pistons to focus on development and get hammered on, on, on the road. And I mean, I guess we want to talk about the schedule a little bit. It's brutal in the first half. Uh, Just focus on getting the guys, the, the appropriate amount of opportunity and uh, developing their game. There was, I think, in the second half of the Washington game, we fielded uh, five veterans on the floor. It was just like, what are we yeah. doing here? That's, that's yeah, quite a while. So that's that's the only thing I'm looking for. I want to see uh, the young guys get the opportunities. I feel like Casey's strategy is, like, give them just a little bit of opportunity and, like, a little bit more if they really, really earn it. And that's frustrating for us. Um, we saw him do it to Christian Wood last year, and it feels like, the only reason he really got to show what he was capable of was when Drummond was traded. You know, who else, who knows what we would have seen otherwise. Uh, so certainly don't want that. Um, I would just like to see Casey uh, give those young guys uh, more minutes, maybe specifically because they are young guys, because, you know, they are the future and uh, this should be a future-oriented team. Well, Casey, an issue with him is that he's always trying to win. And it's not like, okay, it's bad. It's not an inherently bad thing that you're, you know, that you don't want to 
you know, that you at least want to put some emphasis on, on victory and, and not just purely development, I guess. I mean, you had Rick Carlisle a few years ago who deliberately would lose games for the sake of getting Denver, excuse me, getting Dallas good draft position, and they did. So they got the fifth pick and they traded for Luka. So, but Casey, it's just that the trying to win, you know, trying to put so much emphasis on, on winning, even when it makes no sense. This is why, like we saw, and also the, you know, the, the preference to veterans, we saw John Henson start at center last year. <laughs> it's like, just let Christian Wood start at center. Please don't give usage to John Henson, who's going to be the one running the pick and rolls. I mean, and, and sure, you know, Brandon Knight, just because the roster is awful, might be the best point guard on the roster, but that doesn't mean you should be giving him high usage in a ton of minutes because, you know, you really should be putting that, uh, that focus more toward development. So and that's why we probably will see five veteran lineups because Casey has that, uh, it's just, I, I don't think his, his, his focus is sufficiently upon development, but yeah, so it, it's going to be, I think it will be a little frustrating. I think it'll take time for him to, for him to actually get a good rotation going because at the start, it's going to be, well, these veterans are going to be getting minutes and we're just going to be doing things on the basis of, oh, I think this is the best way to win. And it's going to take time for veterans to, you know, if any of them to play themselves like Ellington to play themselves into lesser minutes or, or young players to get themselves more minutes. So it could be frustrating for a while. I anticipate it being frustrating for a while. It was frustrating the last two seasons too, especially, uh, you know, especially early on, you know, Thonmaker versus Christian Wood, for example. Yeah. Uh, or the season before with Bruce Brown in the starting lineup, just because Casey really liked him. I mean, that was a rookie, but I just think it was a terrible decision. <laughs> plays, de- plays fairly good defense, but is a, a spectacular offensive liability in a, in a lineup that doesn't, it only has like two good shooters. So, uh, yeah, just moving on to just a quick season preview. I, I think Tommy and I are both agreed that the season's probably going to be pretty ugly. I think the, the Pistons, you know, they had like the best defense in the league during the preseason, which means nothing because it's preseason. Also, they were playing against pretty easy teams and. Uh, they were terrible on offense in preseason. I expect that to continue because the team just offensively is a mess. Uh, I, I would just, uh, what I really hope for is just to focus on development. And and I, I don't care if the Pistons win as long as they are losing the right way, which is giving which is giving those minutes to, to the young players to develop. Uh, do you, <laughs> I mean, I know you don't disagree about the, about the season probably being pretty ugly. Yeah, I mean, that I don't really care about so much. I'm still looking forward to the season just because there's a lot more young talent that are worthy of minutes uh, than there has been in quite a long time. So I'm still excited regardless, but uh, I think I'm, I, I think I'm a little bit more used to uh, adopting that mentality of, you know, let's think about five years from now and uh, work on that rather than try to win these games now. Yeah, I, I think I'll be satisfied with the season as long as as long as there is that proper focus on development and and no, you know, and, and just no BS from from Dwayne Casey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's already some uh, prospects for next year's draft that I'm looking at, man. I'm excited. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, it, 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 by all indications, should be a very strong draft. So we'll end this episode just with some talk of the schedule, which is going to be pretty brutal for the Pistons. Now, only the first half of the schedule has been released by the NBA. It is all subject to change, of course. There's just the, the very mitigating factor of the coronavirus epidemic, which could easily, I mean, if there's an outbreak amongst teams like the, the, the NBA, uh, and of course the individual organizations are all being very, very judicious about it because it's it's absolutely in their best interest to do so. Also, there may be some pretty severe penalties for players who, who cause an outbreak through their own irresponsible behavior. Whatever the case, the, the reason that the NBA hasn't released the second half of the schedule is that it's entirely possible games will be postponed and and will have to be made up and so on and so forth. Whatever the case, we only know the Pistons first half of the schedule. So the the last game we know is, is on March the 2nd. So it's a tough schedule, you know, by, by any definition, Uh, the Pistons throughout the first half of the schedule will only play against three bad teams. Now it should be noted that there are not many, bad teams in the NBA this year. There are very, very few teams that are rebuilding. Uh, nonetheless, the Pistons in that first half, they'll play twice against Cleveland and they will play once against Sacramento and Sacramento at this point is not a bad team. They're just, just not good. They're kind of rebuilding. Like they're kind of, I don't know, whatever the case, uh, they're, they're 
almost certainly going to be or very, very likely going to be better than Pistons. So if you want to talk about over, you know, outright bad teams, Cleveland is the only one, and the Pistons are they're playing two games against them. They're playing games against Minnesota, Phoenix, uh, Atlanta, and uh, who else? Uh, Orlando as well. And those, I guess, New Orleans could be lumped into your bad team category from last year. But really, with the exception of Orlando, uh, who made the playoffs last year, though with a terrible record, but you know by playoff by playoff standards, I mean New Orleans uh, is you know they're not a bad team, and they'll probably be better this year than they were last year. And and Phoenix has improved. They had their run at the bubble, which which of course was made possible by. You know, a lot of injuries and absences of key players in the opposite on the opposite teams, but nonetheless, they should be a better team. They traded for Chris Paul. I mean, they'll be a better team. And in Atlanta, of course, they, they were rebuilding last year, and they're no longer rebuilding. They made a lot of signings in the offseason, banking on some improvement from their youth as well. They they will not be a bad team either. I, I don't think so. So yeah, it's tough not only in the quality of opposition, but also just in in the frequency of games. I mean, the Pistons are starting off in their first four games, like games two through four, and they've got a back-to-back, and and three games and four nights, and that's and the, the second game of the back-to-back is is the last game, so they you know that's almost a scheduled loss for any team. Uh, they have a stretch in, uh, in in from mid to late January in which they just play a ton of games, <laughs> like. They play eight games between the 18th of January and, and the 30th of January. That's that's pretty brutal. And it just it just continues on that way. Actually, I mean, you can extend this into early February. Uh, that, that's, you know, 10 games, actually, between the 18th of January and, and the 2nd of February. And it just goes on and on like that. I mean, it's going to be a fairly compressed schedule for, for every team. But the Pistons are, are playing... They've got a high degree of difficulty in the schedule, and they're playing a ton of games in a short in a short span. I, I would assume this means that they will not be playing as, as many games in in the second half of the schedule, or they're not in as compressed a period. But I could be entirely wrong. Whatever the case, it's going to be hard. On the plus side, we get to see more Pistons basketball, and uh, also perhaps on the plus side too, the Pistons. Well, certainly on the plus side, in my opinion, the Pistons are probably going to be losing a lot. You know. I know different, you know, people may feel differently about that, but I would have to say even even in a schedule that was much more standard, the Pistons probably would not be winning a lot. All right, so that'll be it for today's episode. Uh, we should be back next week, as usual. Uh, well, I don't know if you say as usual, but we're definitely going to make every effort to, to record weekly this season. Last season was a little bit of an aberration for obvious reasons. So as always, I want to thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.